You are now tuned into the Sociology Podcast. Sociology is a lifestyle brand that analyzes Chicago culture and connected topics abroad. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The 45th president of the United States, CNN, all these people, they can have opinions about the violence in Chicago. We could talk about old block and the connection drill music has on street violence. We could talk about children being murdered because of drama their fathers are involved in. We could talk about Terratown, Inglewood, the west side of Chicago, North Lawndale. We could certainly talk about all of that and the demoralizing effects it has on the people in the city of Chicago. But we cannot forget that it wasn't black people or drill music that started this. It was Italian and Irish immigrants that began terrorizing the streets of Chicago way before the Civil War even began. They're the ones responsible for creating this gang culture in this city. And they, the gangsters that is, had a lot of help from local politicians, the democratic machine, as it's called here in the city. In many cases, they became the machine. They became politicians themselves. Historian Dilla joins me on this episode of Sociology, episode 16, to break down all of this and more. All right, we got um historian Dilla with us on this episode. Um, how you doing, dog? I'm doing uh, wonderful. I'm uh, really, really proud and happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, so you know, you you know a lot about uh Black Chicago history. You know, you know a lot about Chicago history. Period. Um, that's what you're known for. TikTok. You know what I'm saying? All the media outlets you've been interviewed on. So it's definitely an honor to have you and to share the knowledge that you got with uh, the sociology audience and things like that. Um, so, you know, here in Chicago, we got a whole stigma, right? The Chirac, you know, um, um, this, that whole stigma with the gang life, the violence, even though per capita, we're not even, you know, near the top. But that's our stigma, you know, um, and you said something recently. I want to just open this conversation. You said something recently with the with the murder of the seven year old girl that was murdered um, in the McDonald's drive through about two weeks ago. Uh, you said something on your social media that it was really never a code when it came to gang life. Real quick, can you explain to us what does that mean? Like it was never really a code. Like so, that means children and elderly were never really off limits. Uh, to to be perfectly honest to the question, that that would be correct, right? I think um, there was less places to hide. Um, mm-hmm. There was uh, le- less people in general, less people involved in that tor- sort of stuff. So the need to involve your your parents and your kids, it didn't get that far. And it was and it was a little early on as far as black gangs went. It, it was that way as well, right? Like no one needed to involve the family of the dude that would snipe somebody from Cabrini Green. That that gang went and said, "Hey, now nah, y'all ain't gonna turn yourselves in, right?" And so um, the code we like to think about or, or we envision back of the day just was more like a thing of proximity, you know. They didn't need to go after your family because you were uh, within arm's reach. But to be clear, families mm-hmm. got killed a lot, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the history of Chicago. So that that never was a thing. They tried not to do it. Um, but push came to shove. Yeah, your family would get touched. Got it. Got it. And, and that's, that's kind of what you meant. Because, you know, even myself growing up, um, I would... I was under the assumption that, you know, like the reason why the violence now, present day 2021, 
is a lot worse than the violence was in, for a second example, 1991. It's because a lot more children are being killed now. But based off what you said, it kind of it kind of gives a whole nother perspective on it because they didn't kill kids back then because they didn't really need to. Which, they didn't really need to. Which is kind of you know, still people. sinister as hell when you think about <laughs> it. Because, like, if they needed to, they would. But they didn't. You know, the, the, and, the, and the thing about all crime is what I like to say, even about that, how we feel about the mob, how we feel about when, when time goes on, we start to romanticize it. You know, we're not connected to it personally. So it's real easy to attach some kind of code to form a gang life because we don't know any of the people that were killed in the 60s or 70s attached to gangs, even the 20s or the teens, right? We don't know any people. Yeah. We're not necessarily related to these people. So so it's easy to to disconnect ourselves and to, to, to... We only got the newspaper articles and the movies that were disseminated from that time to kind of give us the, the code or... But uh, make no mistakes about it, man. If you're with your wife and kids and they pulled up with that Tommy gun in the early 1900s, you know, your families were hurt. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the 1900s, that kind of segues us into, you know, what I want to talk about on this episode. Uh, you know, again, back to that stigma of Chicago gang life and the violence. You know, Trump made a whole ordeal about that in the media during his presidency about how Chicago was just a problem, a problem. You know, Lori Lightfoot, get your city under control. Rahm Emanuel, get your city under control. Chicago ain't never been in control. You know, so um, I I would love for you to shed light on us about how Chicago violence has always been. Like, as far as back as it's it's been reported. As far as back as that there's been uh, Chicago, that's been Mm -hmm. the thing. There was a guy named uh, Cassius McDonald. Okay. Uh, who in like the b- before, you know, 1840s, right? Not only is he Chicago's first uh, quote unquote gangster, right? He's an Irish man. He's first kind of person to organize the immigrant Irish and, and have like a criminal enterprise. But then he also goes on to be like the first Democratic ward boss from Chicago because oh, wow. the two go hand in hand. Uh, Chicago gang history is, is intermarried to politics in a major way. Um, the politicians, uh, since the very beginning of Chicago, recognize that, hey, these guys in this neighborhood control this neighborhood. So I can get them to control the people in this neighborhood to vote for me. And they very early on funded um, neighborhood gangs, which in Chicago's history was primarily Irish and Italian from its mm-hmm. existence. Um and they, they they were violent gangs. I was just telling a story about the guy, uh, Sam Cardinelli, the Cardinelli gang in Little Italy uh, were robbing and killing folks from 1915 to 1919. His second mm. lieutenant, a guy named Nicholas, uh, ended up getting caught. Uh, man, this, this story crazy. <laughs> I, yeah, it, let's it, hear it. Okay, so uh, Nick was, it's, it's exactly what we see now, right? Uh, we talk about Yummy. We even talk about the 13-year-old Adam who just got killed, the yeah. older gang influence. So Sam Cardinella had a pool hall. Young Irish and Italian immigrants would come to that pool hall, ditch school. He taught them how to rob, how to kill, and that's what they went out and did. And for six years, they terrorized the neighborhood called Little Italy. They eventually get caught. Uh, somebody squeals. The youngest of the crew, a guy named Nicholas, is, is 18. He had been involved with the crew since he was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, they all end up, just in Chicago, boy, they hung you. So they all end up getting uh, convicted and sentenced to death. 
Nick was, like I say, was a kid when he started, so he never really put on weight. And when people get hung, they want their neck to break. So yeah. people on exactly when people on death row, uh, they eat their butts off because they try to get fatter. So that way, when they hung, it'd be over with quick. You didn't want to strangle. But Nick ended up strangling because he was light. What was different about it this time, though, was what when he was finished hanging, an ambulance asked for him instead of a funeral car, which was a traditional thing. Turns out Sam Cardinelli had an ambulance there to see if once a person was hung, if they could get revived. And it worked. They were able to revive Nick back to life in wow. the ambulance on the way somewhere, and they ended up shooting him in the head again to be the snitch. So wow. he said, so that's the level of Chicago gang violence. But it started, it's, it's, it's been that way. That's who controlled the vote. So the politicians will say, hey, I need you. You run this neighborhood. Hey, uh, the police aren't going to bother you. Nobody's going to bother you. I get to pick who the police captains are uh, in, in my neighborhood as an alderman. And you get people to vote for me, and I'll, I'll make sure your, your criminal enterprise doesn't get touched. And that's been that way in Chicago since 1850 before black people were a thought. We were 3% of the population then, if that, if that. Mm. We've been in Chicago since 1850, 1852. And, you know, that's because I'll be honest with you. This is my first time hearing about this Cassius McDonald guy. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, it just goes to show you, even with my perspective personally, how ingrained gang life is in Chicago, but not only how ingrained gang life is, but how intertwined gang life in a democratic machine is. Yes, sir. Yes, you sir. know, you know, it's, it's kind of like you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, you know, and we still dealing with some of the similar things. So, you know, so we're in 1850. Um, that's as early as we can go back as far as gang yeah. life in Chicago. Yeah. And then, you know, you had that uh the what was his name? Sam Cardinella. Cardinella. So, you know, what about um well, were these guys were they on the south side, the west side? What part of the region well, so are we talking about? Italy formerly mm-hmm. sits where UIC is now. Correct. It went all the way to Harrison, down to Taylor Roosevelt. So in that era, but Cassius McDonald. Um, so before 1900s, 18, before the Columbia War Exposition of 1893, Chicago doesn't go as far as south as we think, as far as like uh, south side, right? What would be considered the south side in those days was Roosevelt and it stopped at about Pershing. After that, that was the town of Lake until about 1898. Uh, so then the early 1900s is when you start to see the north side, south side gang things start to evolve. Because uh-huh. That's when we finally get the north side and the south side. Everything north of North Avenue belonged to a town of Lakeview and, and the town of Jefferson. They didn't get annexed into Chicago until about 1898 or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's not until the 1900s that we have that, uh, as we traditionally know it today, north side and south side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's when that emerged, and um, that emerges. And when 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 the north side and south side became a thing, um, was it strictly like a Italian Irish thing? Because we know like all of these different uh you know ethnicities, countries, cultures, whatever you want to call it, um, clashed, right? Right. Uh, and the blacks ain't even involved at this point, even nope. though they were. But we ain't even talking about them right now. Um, was it strictly an Italian Irish thing or was it strictly a geographical north versus south thing? Um because of the way that Chicago sets itself up, uh it was an ethnicity thing. Um, mm-hmm. because we live in Chicago next to our ethnicities. 
so just by happen chance, uh, the neighborhoods develop, and you you have it being that it's a ethnicity thing versus like you know whether you're Irish or Italian. If you're on the south side, we running together. Uh, no, it was it was definitely based off of ethnicities uh, during that time. So basically, like even if I was in an Italian gang and you was in another Italian gang, we were seen more so as allies instead of enemies. It was like the Irish was the enemy or the Jewish was the enemy. Uh, that's correct for for the most part, um, and uh, until you get to about prohibition, um, and then mm-hmm. the Italians start wiping out any other Italians. So before that, exactly what you're saying, it was, you know, a whole Italian cliques, right? It was other Italian cliques on different sides of town. But you was Italian, Italian. We were cool uh, up until you get to that prohibition money. And then that's when it was like, oh, you know, everybody needs to to merge up under my particular umbrella. But, yeah, if you were on the north side in Italian, I was on the south side in Italian before prohibition, we probably wouldn't have no beef. Is that how Johnny Torrio... Uh, rose to power strictly because of the Prohibition era? Like, how did he get such a firm control well, on the South Side? Well, um, Johnny Torrio was the... His sister Big Jim Mary Colosimo. Got, yeah, his sister Big Mary Big Jim. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and when his sister Mary Big Jim, um, Jim was a protege of Chicago Democratic, you know, machine, as we call it, right? Uh, he grew up as like a vote getter for a guy named Hinky Dink and another guy named Bathhouse Johnson. They were uh, aldermen from the late 1800s all the way to like the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Um, they were city aldermen. And so he started under them, able to make sure that they their votes and they were able to get their candidates in. And Torrio came from New York. And, you know, New York had been uh, dealing with that type of environment a little longer than us. So, uh, Torio just brought like an expertise that that Big Jim didn't have, uh, but so yeah, it was it was it was uh, Torio that got it started for him. Big Jim was just like basically so basically Torio was like, got you, got you. So it's like Torio was more fitted for this gang shit. Yeah, Torio understood gang. All Big like. Jim knew was pimping, but yeah, it's that like, Torio knew you know territory and 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 how to like get dudes under you with morale and, 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 you know, how to insulate himself and, and the organization structurally. Um, yeah. Uh, it's like you, exactly how you just described it. Though. All that gang shit came from Torio. Mm-hmm. And then um, on the North side, how was things rising on there? Like, cause like we're, we're getting to the North side, South side war, you know, all of yeah. that. But like, so we see what's going on on the South side. How was the North side um, formulating and, you know, just shaping up during this pre-Prohibition era, um, early Prohibition era? The North side uh, only had a few pockets, right? It didn't. So what we now, what we today consider like the Cabrini Green area, um, that's like near North side. That was a strong um, hang on for gangs. And then also like, is that what we call that river north? You know, like maybe the west end of Streeterville. But as far as north mm-hmm. side gangs go, they had a little section in Uptown. They had a okay. tiny, tiny section at Rogers Park. But because the south side was so new, what, what developed as a newer place, the housing and everything, 
uh, the gangs was able to take over a little better. The, uh, the North side was already kind of old and established. Uh, the politicians didn't really n- have a need for gangs to get people in in the vote. Right. They already kind of had uh, a prestige, if you will. So it was only a few mm-hmm. pockets of gangs on the North side. Mm. So, so what it sounds like is the North Side always been the quote unquote good side, you know, and and I don't really like oh, to say yeah. good side, but you know, <laughs> if we're gonna be real, you know, we we want to look at like um, you know, we like to blame politicians for protecting the North Side, right? You know, um, but it seems like it's always been that way, even with yeah. the whites. You know, the North Side has always been like, oh, dude, you don't come up here with that mess. Yeah, you <laughs> know, it's 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 older. It's more spread out. It um just was a little bit more developed as neighborhoods, right? So old money, uh, old money don't tolerate certain shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the the money was older up there. So yeah, it was always a a bit of a goody two-shoes. And that's what kind of made it perfect for whatever game that controlled it. You could theoretically have control over this big, vast space of land, but not have to put people in so many places because it wasn't a naturally violent with the bullshit type of place like the South Side was. Mm. Mm. And that's and that's very interesting because, you know, you would think that uh, with all the violence that used to occur in Chicago back then, you know, people just pulling up in Tommy guns, dressed in three-point suits and shit, um, that it was the Wild West everywhere. But when yeah. you really look at the history, it's like the apple don't fall far from the tree. Yeah. You know, um, and, and it's just kind of like, can you really blame people in 2021 for the way things are when this is how things have always been? And can can you can you blame them when you never really speak about how others were able to like pivot and go the other way? Um, like I said, if you for us, if you survive the street, you know, it's contemporary, right? You survive the street bullshit and get to a certain age. Um, yeah. In the hood, we kind of look at you as like a retired legend, but you still in the world are like are still a scumbag, you know. But take a person like Sam Jid Khan. You know, okay. he, he was on, on the, in the news every day dating people, and he was a known killer, but he had lived long enough to move past his youth of being in the streets, per se, and now he was above it. Um, but you know, people outside of Chicago still, you know, your average white person still look at Lil Durk as a, as a just a regular thug dude, but he 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 has a, ascended past it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, it was just like that back in the day. Like I said, the Cassius McDonald's, I, I can name a lot of people who started off in the streets, uh, in the early 18, I mean, late 1800s, early 1900s, 1910s, 1920s, and they go on to be aldermen or or their children mm. go on to be aldermen and stuff like that. And then that's how you get to move that neighborhood or that ethnicity or that particular small group out of the bullshit. But ours, like, you know, Larry Hoover's son never gets to be anything but Larry Hoover's son, right? Or his grandkids, you know. They fuck around yeah. and change their names before they be able to to get to be a positive thing. But that don't happen. On, that didn't happen then. You, you know, know you, you make an interesting point, um, and I want to touch on real quick. You said... Uh, there were gangsters whose sons or grandsons became aldermen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, can you give us a few names? Because like we know for a fact, or if you don't know, I'm going to say it now. And obviously, you're the historian, so you can clarify. We know the boss, right? Right. And we, we talk about Big Daily, Old Daily. We know he was involved in. You know, they called them what clubs, 
right? right. But, but they was really gangs. We know he was involved in the Irish gang. He was the, he was the president of the Hamburg Club. The president, and we know that that club was very instrumental in assigning the 1919 Chicago riot. And he went on to be the second longest tenured mayor in the history of Chicago, only passed by his son. Hmm. Um, You know, so you look at that right right now. And again, let me say that I was not there, have not been there. I don't know that anybody currently of the family that I'm going to say right now is involved in anything. Fred Rohde. And his father, Bruno Rodi. Bruno's nickname was Bruno the Bomber. And he was considered the um, street boss for the, the quote-unquote Chicago outfit in Chinatown. His son was Fred Alderman, Fred Rodi. Um, mm. But more to the point, to date, in 2021, there have been uh, at least 60 members of the Rodi family on the city of Chicago payroll. Wait, how many? <laughs> six, six, zero, 60. Wow, wow! Today, it's it's and like how like not scrubs neither like you know, you know, senior you know third high third ranking dude in charge of the water department you know uh-huh. fifth from the top in streets and sanitation like uh-huh. since then Bruno the bomber got his name he ran with Al Capone so he had to have been around in the 1920s but his son was Fred Rohde it was Bruno Rohde Fred Rohde was Alderman Rohde. Wow, and, and sixty roadies that work for the city. And what, what, what um, not necessarily what war, but what area of the city is this that we're talking about? Uh, the roadies. Yeah, they they. So China, New Chinatown wasn't always where Chinatown was. Chinatown right. used to be Dearborn. Uh, so where Chinatown is now was always kind of like a poor immigrant place. So that's where the roadies family had been set up. Mm-hmm. But he was considered like you know twenty second and twenty sixth Street boss. Mm. Boss, you know, so so they they can they can be bosses in the streets and they can be bosses in the uh, city council. Hey, it's um, Googleable. The roadies uh, again. The two. I ain't talking about the. the it's probably some roadie on the garbage truck right now. Ain't got nothing to do with nothing. Enjoy uh-huh. your job, brother. You can't help who your granddaddy was. Right. But Bruno Roadie and, and Fred Roadie. Fred Roadie was convicted and went to jail for fifteen years for uh, racketeering and bribery and all that. So I'm not. Uh, there's no allegedly with Fred Rohde. He he pled guilty to, mm-hmm. to these crimes, and then Bruno was suspected of like over a dozen murders in his time. Mm, wow, yeah, they they had bodies for days. It sounds like, <laughs> um, and and it's just interesting because again, you know, they can transition uh, from their life of crime to like you, you know said, the life you of imagine, policy. You think ever can sixty of Jeff Forts? Can sixty of David Barksdale's relatives? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. They no. They ain't finna hire them at the park district. (laughs) You know know what I'm saying? saying? They not even finna work at the park district. Uh, Absolutely not. You know, it's it's just so insane when you when you hear those numbers and you can look at the history and you know the black and white that you know basically supports the argument. Um, You know, it's 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 just wild as hell. And again, it just goes back to it's in the DNA of Chicago. The, de- the democratic machine is intertwined with the gang life. Um, so, you know, we, we got, um, so we, we got the Southside gang. We talked, we talked about Jody Torrio. Uh, let's, let's hit on Al Capone. We'd be remiss if we don't talk about him. Obviously everybody love Al Capone, you know, Pablo Escobar idolized him, you know, all of that. Uh, let's talk about his stint and, you know, not even just him, but his, uh, his successors, you know, Frank Nitti and Paul Ricca and all of those boys. 
I, I was saying we get we get for Capone was you know pretty violent. He had a a decent run, but what he what he left in place is is really what's what. And then after he left, though they are should be the stars. But the fact that we talk about Al Capone more means that the Paul yeah. Ricas, the uh, Tony Acadas did their job. You know what I mean? They they yeah, did yeah. exactly how they want to do. Not not be like they form a boss. But yeah, you know, as you know, Al came uh, from New York to, to help uh, Johnny Torrio. Um, when Prohibition started, Big Jim didn't want to sell illegal alcohol. He was fed with booze and the, and the thing about uh, the Italian gangsters in general is if, if everybody ain't gonna eat, you gotta go. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so they got they got they got rid of him. And um, I think what we don't talk about enough with Al Capone is how we talk about his violence, but he bribed everybody. Everybody, if, if it got down. Aside from the St. Valentine's Day massacre, you really didn't, you know, it was a, you know, ones and twos, but it was mostly people involved in the life. And he really, he really, his legend has grown to make him way more violent than, than, than what he actually uh-huh. was. Uh-huh. You know, what he was was able to have uh, Mayor Big Bill Thompson in his pocket and the chief of police. And then later on out in Cicero. I think he's a prime example that the money is power, more powerful than the sword. And it wasn't until he got super violent that they even started trying to even come get him. Mm. Yeah. Um, it sounds like, you know, I had conversations before about Al and it seems like he was more so just a bootlegger that happened to dabble in violence from time to time. Man. That's what Man, it sounds like time. he really was. Yeah. Per- perfect timing too. Cause he, um, had there not been a prohibition, he didn't have the brains to attend a, a sin the way that the outfit did in his absence, um, and so he he the pro without prohibition uh, we we wouldn't know anything about alcohol. I love how you said that he was a guy that was very good at prohibition and dabbling mm-hmm. in violence every now and again. Mm-hmm. And then you know obviously he they got him for tax evasion um, of all things and uh, yeah you know O'Hare Airport right yeah. It was it was uh, Butch O'Hare, who's a World War II pilot, who the airport is named after. But he was like dyslexic or something to the to the point to where he wasn't real good with tests, right? And you know we understand that. So his father was Eddie O'Hare. He said, "Hey, he he was Al Capone's lawyer. You know, Al Capone was like the John Gotti before John Carter. They could never even beat him. Yeah, yeah. they took Al Capone to jail a bunch of times, and Eddie O'Hare got him off all the time." But um, when, when he started to fear for his life, especially after the St. Valentine's Day murder, he made the deal that if his son got into the Naval Academy, he would tell on Al Capone. Uh, not only did he tell where the accountant was, where the books was, but then once they started the trial, they had bribed that first jury, and mm. he was going to be- even beat that. And mm. Eddie O'Hare told that the jury was bribed. They got a whole new jury, and that's what ended up getting Al Capone. So that's what that's what popped the ball. It was at the end of the day, it wasn't really the fact they got him on tax evasion. Nope. It was the fact somebody snitched on him. It was somebody snitched on him. He was that powerful. He was that powerful in the city of Chicago, which at the time, you know, it's still a big city now, but at the time was a big ass fucking city. Man. And he was still about to beat that charge. Yep. Wow. Uh you know what a what a chain of events. So he he goes away, and now so let's talk about real quick how 
who was really in charge after that? Was it Frank Nitty or was it Paul Ricker? Who who really um, was the was the ball? You know, that's that's the ongoing argument, right? I don't see um I think initially it was Nitty, and then as time progressed, he started to lose control. Mm-hmm. Um Based off of the other moves being made, you know, when um, Paul Rica and them did that Hollywood move, it's kind of hard to, like, keep your troops when the people under you are making, like, really, really smart, dope power moves, like, and make the other people around say, well, damn, why he ain't in charge? You know what right. I mean? Then right. he was, like, real, real conservative in his money-making ideas. Uh, Frank Frank Rica um, just didn't give a hell. He ain't give a fuck. He not, not at all. So I, I think it evolved to be uh, Paul the waiter. It, 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 but Nitty was in charge solidly in the beginning. As soon as uh, Al left, for sure. Mm. And then it's just kind of like things just slipped through his grips uh, as time went on. Like I said, he he was he didn't he was a person that was against drugs. Rika and then were not. Uh, Nitty was a little more racist than Rika and them, so really? uh, Rika and them would uh, was okay with like going in the hood to get money. Mm-hmm. Uh, was not, and so like I said, as time progresses, if you're the underboss, but you have to pay everybody more, eventually they're gonna start listening to you. Um, how much of the Elliot Ness saga played into a part in this, or if any? Uh, Man, you know, a lot of Elliot Ness stuff man, is, is exaggerated. Like I yeah, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was he curious. Ain't, he ain't even do nothing. Like I said, if, if they say he tried O'Hare Airport, just think oh, that O'Hara's daddy is what did Al Capone. Elliot Ness um, just just happened to be a, a guy that was just as tenacious as, say, like Capone was to mm-hmm. get the job done. So he made some good headlines, but he didn't accomplish nothing. Yeah, like yeah, none, you know, none of his uh, police work Doug, did anything. The Untouchables is a cult classic, and you know we worship the Untouchables. You know, uh, Sean Connery. You know, hey, all of uh, that. But see, that's what, so. I just told you, uh, Rico in the Untouchables is uh-huh. not based off of Al Capone. That's what everybody thinks. Rico is based off of Sam Cardinella. Mm. That's mm. who Rico is based off of. Mm. You know, it's a blending of stories, right? Yeah. Maybe the overarching story is about Al Capone, but the character of Rico, uh, the writers and all that study, Sam Cardinella first. Sam was way, like I said, Sam, Sam was on the streets. He would, it wouldn't have been no how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like he had that firm grip on the streets. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, okay, so let's shift gears to the south, to the north side real quick. Uh, you know, we had... Uh, it's like everybody who was the boss over there got killed damn near. Uh, who do we start out with? Who was the boss over there in the beginning of the north side? And let's go through the succession real quick. Right. Uh, so was uh, Dino Banyan? Yeah, um, that guy with the flower shop, right? Yes, sir. And, and uh, you know, right across the street from the church. You, you, that, that church made so much money off of uh, visitors. Wow! To see the bullet holes in the church. Uh, is that <laughs> they still is? there? Yeah, the bullet holes are still there. That's wild. Still there. Oh, let me shoot my kids away from this door. Uh, as you know, I got a tribe of seven. Yeah, tribe of seven. One year old. The one the year old is seven. Oh man, 
Yeah, the one year I was getting ready to bang on the door, something <laughs> ridiculous. Uh-oh. Yeah, but so was Dino banging, um, and his he 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 didn't have the, the, the charge of it for that long, right? That you know, mm-hmm. so he's gone by uh, uh, nineteen twenty. Um, the same two people that did the same, well, that were involved in St. Valentine's Day massacres are the ones that did the hit. Uh, um, Dean's an example of a person who wasn't playing politics, though. Mm. Explain you know, that. He he didn't have, if you, and chasing down his lineage, there isn't an alderman that he was paying. He wasn't cool with mm. the mayor, or the, you know what I mean? Mm, mm, so, okay. You know, he ain't had no allies. He didn't have no allies. So even after he got taken down, what was the um, police raids? I mean, they made their little show arrest because, uh, like, most of the time, a police chief would be Irish, and he, he would be very upset about that kind of stuff. Um, but where was the show of force from the city? Like, hey, this major mob, you know, again, if a if somebody was capable of getting to Al Capone and killing him, that person would have been arrested, you know. That yeah. the opposite gang would have had these problems because of the politicians that he was with. And so I think Dean's problem was that he went at it alone. If he'd have had the proper protection, you know, the police you couldn't pull up on Al because shit, it was police were watching out for him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was protected and but Dean yeah, but wasn't. It went, it went from Dean. Yeah, he well, he didn't have the protection. Uh and Jaime Weiss was just wild. <laughs> Man, I read about him. You know that that's that's who succeeded him, and and Jaime was like um, shoot first. He was like the, the damn Avon Barksdale gangsters. Yeah, yeah, like like a Mike, like a, a Sonny Corleone type. You know, just yeah, exactly. Wow, not giving a fuck. So he, so he got took out later, and, and then it uh, eventually went to Bugs Moran, who, uh, as we all know, infamously. Saved his own life. He when the the ruse happened for the St. Valentine's Day massacre, and they dressed up like cops. He happened to be rolling by. And he thought they were real cops, and he kept driving. Mm. Ain't that wow. crazy? Yeah, it's like <laughs> hell, nah. Like he he just he just kept moving, just kept moving. Like yeah, I ain't see shit. Um, yeah, he kept moving, and and being like that changed saved his life. He ended up dying in jail later, though. It's a cold world. Um. Yeah, so like you know, we had that South Side that, and you know, it's it's a lot of minor gangs too. You know, um, like that Portillo's on Taylor Street, mm-hmm. um, they got a, like a plaque on the second floor of a gang from that area. Uh, the Gianna Gianna Brothers or some, I'm you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I might have to Google it. Um, but it's like a plaque of like five gangster brothers from like that area. You know, um, I'm not sure the name, uh, but they did some business with Capone too. Like, I really, I really need to figure out like uh, what's the name of this game. Uh, I don't think it's the Taylor yeah. game. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, 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 think myself. Uh, uh, the, another gang I'm thinking about, Italian gang, is the 42s. Okay. Uh, most gang, when you get past like 1910, 1920s, most white and Italian gangs. I mean, Irish and Italian gangs were like minor league for the organized crimes. And the major one, the main minor league team, right, would be the 42s. 
Okay. They named themselves that because they said they were one better than Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. Um, oh, wow. Graduating from the 42s made you uh, an outfit member. The force, well, so the precursor of the 42s, the Citrus Cafe, whose uh, first, like, call it graduate, right, would be Tony Arcana. Um, and then the next one would be, like, Sam Giacana. And he okay. Was the 42s. Oh, so yeah, so they really went from the minor league to the big leagues. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. The draft. You you couldn't in that time like just walk up and say, Hey, I want to be a part of the mob. Like, no, you had to already be doing crimes, mm-hmm. already gotten arrested, already have shown what you was capable of. It was like an invite only. Mm, yeah, like you already had to know somebody, know somebody that you know. Yeah, and that's how sure. you get in. That's how you get in. Um, for sure. the forty twos. Yeah, I never heard of them. Now the the gang I was just trying to figure out. I just Google it. It's the Jenna brothers. Um, G E N N A, the uh-huh. Jenna brothers. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know much about them, but it's a whole plaque of like all six of them at the Portillos on Taylor Street Damn. on the second floor by the bathroom. You can't miss Damn. it. So next time you go there, you can see it. And it's there. Um, but I'm sure they, they got some type of history and we can revisit that on the next time. Um, you know, but okay, so so we we got a nice foundation for the whites, right? We got the Irish, the Italians, because that's what most of these all these guys we're talking about are, right? Right, right. Yeah, they Irish or they Italian for the most part. Even the aldermen, you know, the the, the democratic machine, they're Irish or Italian, the police yeah. force, they're Irish or Italian. Yeah. Everybody is Irish or Italian with power in Chicago, right? Now, let's go to Bronzeville, okay? Um, because Bronzeville has always been its own little nook uh, for the black population in Chicago. And while all of this is going on, Bronzeville kind of has its own utopia, dystopia, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, talk to us about the history of organized crime, if you will, or policy, you know, King's. In Bronzeville, when did that start? Who, you know, really kicked things off? And what was the succession of uh, control down the line? And how did they even, you know, interact with the Italian and Irish gangs around them? They had that. That's a very, so that last question is very pivotal uh, as it relates to what happens to them, how they were able to sustain themselves. And that question doesn't get asked a lot. Uh, Our first gangster, if you will, uh, African American was a guy named Mushmouth Johnson. Uh, mm-hmm. He ran a couple brothels and uh, gambling dens. He was partnered up with a white guy and a uh, Asian guy. Uh, and between them, they brought policy to Chicago. Um, that so then it gets uh, passed down to it. Really, was a council. It was uh, about 15 power players. Uh, chief among them was the Jones brothers, three brothers that yeah. uh, came from the South, moved to Evanston, and then from Evanston came to the city. Um, their underboss was a guy named Ted Rowe, but then there's also was people before them, like a Jackson Funeral Home is still open now. It's probably the longest-running existing mm-hmm. uh, African-American funeral home in Chicago, and its founder, Dan Jackson, was you know, a millionaire uh, uh, numbers runner policy uh, boss. Really? Uh, and we yes, talk about sir. 63rd, right? Uh, it's on 63rd now. Yes, it originally okay. down on like 29th and Wabash's. Okay. So the original one was. 
Okay. But yes, that that same family uh, started uh, got their money and started their funeral home from policy. Uh, so that that takes its origins maybe about the, the it was small runner uppers, but as it gets official and it starts to make a lot of money about nineteen twenty twenty five ish. The Jones brothers have control of it by the nineteen thirties. Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of St. Louis Kelly. He was the president of the band's union in Chicago, so everything's a union town. So even blues players belong to unions. Either wow. the drummer, you know, if, if Muddy Guy or if Buddy Guy, or Muddy Waters or Louis Armstrong, whoever wanted to do a concert, they had to hire union musicians to back them. St. Louis Kelly was the president of the union's musician. He made sure that that union paid tribute to the Italian outfit. Him, so he had been doing that since the Al Capone era, right? Chicago, we had 10 cafes. So, you know, um, the black musicians would go down and perform at white clubs. Mm-hmm. He was the liaison since the 20s. So that's how he met Al Capone. And when Al Capone, uh, you know, went to jail and then eventually died, he still was the connection. So he was the go-between. And he made sure that they got their money, but he was smart enough to under-report. So... Mm-hmm. You know, if they, if they were making $3 million in the hood, he'd come over there with, with 30000 screaming that he took this 30000 from that 300000 It's like, ooh, you know, these niggas ain't got nothing but nickels and dimes. And yeah. Man, he, he tried to give you 20000 but I took another 10 Because St. Louis Kelly was, that, was smart like that. And he had a personal beef with somebody. I, I, I don't want to cheat and use Google because historians don't use Google. When we're talking live, that's cheating. Uh-huh. But the person that he uh, he got into a beef with eventually shot and killed him. And then we lost our go-between. So then the, the Italian mommies, are, you know, they had to start dealing directly. And it was just coincidence that Sam, G- I mean, that uh, yeah, Sam Giacana and Ed Jones was locked up at that time. Because otherwise, mm. he would, you know, they wouldn't have needed to develop a relationship. And, and uh, so, so, yeah, but so we to your question, we did have a relationship with the the city and in uh St. Louis Kelly was the guy that paid the bribes for the city. Um he paid Big Bill Thompson. Uh in those days Alderman got to pick who would be like the district commander, right? You know, mm-hmm. Inglewood District. So whoever was that alderman got to pick the the district commander. And of course you pick somebody that you can control and that person would go to the number runners and get the bribes. And then it rolled back up. But again, it all ran through St. Louis Kelly. You know, he paid the brass of politicians and to the mob. And he always underreported. And so nobody knew the treasure that we were sitting on until he was killed. And then that's when the floodgates opened. Wow. I mean, at least he had that discernment, though. You know, right. to yeah. be like, hey, right. like, we, we making five million, but you ain't going to know that, though. You you know, we, we, we made one million. That was our <laughs> installation, right? Because... It still was Bronzeville. It still was Redline. So you couldn't show you had that type of money and build a property outright. You still wanted to mortgage it, but they didn't get mortgages in the hood. Mm -hmm. So the only thing you could have was like nice clothes and cars and put some money up. Black folks, you know, those number runs, they went on amazing vacations and they sent their kids to college and stuff like that. But they never could have the big house. You see what I'm saying? Because of the Redlining. But not having the big house... Uh, like I said, my favorite thing to say to people is you've never seen a picture of an African-American in a bread line in the Great Depression 
in Chicago. I actually have it, yeah. yeah but you've seen plenty of whites because, the, because to the point you're making, we didn't have that in Bronzeville. We just had shitty housing. The only people who were struggling in Bronzeville, if you was fresh off of the Greyhound or the train from Mississippi, that's like everything else in life, though, right? If I don't know you, I don't know you. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So the people that was fresh off the bus might have had some struggling in Bronzeville a little bit. But the only issue we had primarily was housing. The Jones brothers legally employed like 3,000 people through their various businesses. Mm. A lot of people. It's a, it's a very lot of people, especially in that time period. And, you know, um, is this the same time period as Jesse Binger uh, with yes, his bank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so yeah, he, I'm sorry. I ramble. You told me I could ramble. Hey, so and that's Mush, good. Mushmouth Johnson, our first, um, you know, black criminal enterprise leader, uh, made so much money he was able to send his sister to the University of Chicago where she became the first African-American to live on the dorms. No, I'm sorry. She's the first African-American to join a white sorority at the University of Chicago. And okay. when he died, that lady inherited his fortune and then who did she marry? Jesse Binga, who mm. used that money to open the Binga Banks. And then he used that to give mortgages to black people yep. when they couldn't get mortgages elsewhere. Yes, sir. So it's, it's like, kind of like just how things are in contemporary times, and we're going to get to that in another episode, but things haven't changed. It's really just following the money <laughs> in all things, right? Just, you know, you, you the policymakers are paying the bosses, the bosses paying, paying the police chiefs, police chiefs, you know, paying a mob or you know what have you and it goes all the way to the top and in chicago goes all the way to the mayor and back down yes sir that's that's what it sounds like and you know it's again like you can't really uh you know it's easy for people like a trump or you know whatever these republicans or conservatives say on cnn to you know we, we look at old block uh we look at inglewood we look at you know um the south side the west side the violence and all of that and but they forget that this is what y'all built in this city. Yep, injected in. It's it's it's. Uh, we're learning nowadays, right, that the traumas from slavery are passed down genetically, right? Yeah. And I think that energy can be passed down and and permeate a space. You know, if you grow a garden in a certain place and y'all take care of the soil and you plant corn one year and green beans the next and you keep turning the soil over and your water you don't over fertilize it it becomes like real good land and then people who come after you their crops grow good too but i also think like the energy and care and love you put into that space remains too you know what i mean and yeah. to your point like in the spaces we find ourselves before we got there there were not good energies or good spaces there you know and so we kind of inherited that dark cloud and it's a very dark cloud it's an extremely dark cloud because things haven't changed um things uh are pretty much the same but you know the only difference is it's you know at least from what we can see you know the politicians ain't on the gangster side now um right. and you know that 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 began to shift a long time ago so you know just as a kind of a um as a wrap-up what would you say is the biggest contrast between gang violence from 1850 with Cassius McDonald up until, you know, let's just say, you know, because there's so many periods, but let's just say for the lack of example, the end of the Great Depression, that era, that whole chunk of time, 
what would you think is the biggest difference between that chunk of time versus now in 2021? Um, the I think one um, we're I won't even say desensitive to it. I, I think the difference is. It's a little less controlled, or at least from where I'm sitting. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily think Alderman Anthony Bill is paying somebody to do hits and rolls on it, right? Or in Pullman, yeah. Yeah. right? Whereas that was a time that that, that was occurring. Um, but I, I don't think it's much of a difference, brother. I just think that the skin color of the people who are doing it has changed. Yeah. And... Um, the only difference is that an, an escape path was laid out for others and none was laid for us. You know, a, a lot when a, when a, when a place um, turns extremely violent in the city in those days, um, I, you only just had to survive that generation, right? And but but if you didn't choose to join the 42s or, or the, the gay lords if you were Irish or something like that, right? You just went through high school. Uh, you still could come out with like a really, really good gig and move move, move and continue your life. And I, I think uh, for us, that's not the case. Like, mm-hmm. you inundated in it a little longer. And so the, the proximity of it kind of sticks with you, right? You know, for, for them, once you hit 20 or something like that, like, People that need people, twenty year old Irish people didn't approach other twenty year old men and ask them what set you from. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there was a path laid for escaping that, and I think for us, we don't have a path to to get out of it. Yeah. It'd be the difference for me. Yeah, and um, so and the next time we chat, we're gonna transition into you know the fifties, sixties, seventies with the rise yeah. of the the black gangs in Chicago, and you know what was their purposes and how things went from that into what we have now. Hey, I, I can't wait. Cause my favorite thing to say about that is before, the 50s are perfect because before then, you needed to be a smart black criminal. And after that, you needed to be a tough black criminal. And like you say, there's a reason for that. And we're going to find out why. Yes, sir. If you enjoyed this podcast, I ask for two things. Number one, leave a five-star review. And number two, pass it on to a friend who may enjoy it as well. And don't forget to subscribe to our other podcast, Mogul Motivation from True Stories Media.